0: We will be reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. We got a, we got a lot of ground to cover, so we have got to go. 1 Corinthians 4. We are continuing this series through the book of 1 Corinthians, learning from Paul as he taught this church, addressed this church, and really is addressing all of the problems and the issues and the dysfunction that they are facing. And and for us, I think it's a helpful thing because we can kind of hear those and fend off those problems before they get to us. Uh, So we kind of get ahead of them, if you will. Um, You know, I think this, this concept has always been true by nature Uh, But it feels a little more true uh, today, and that is that we are skeptical of leadership. I think by nature we are skeptical of leadership, and that thing has always been true, but it just feels a little more true today. Um, uh, As we look at our leaders and we see abuse, abuse of authority, we see them lying, we see manipulating, we see cheating, we see it being all about power and, and, and self-gain. You know, you can look at things like Watergate, uh, some of you don't know what that is, ask your parents, um, or your social studies teacher. Uh, you know, you can look at things like the Bill Clinton scandal, or you look at how congressmen conveniently sold all of their stocks right before COVID hit. Uh, you look at things like that, and you go, man, I just do not trust People in power, people in authority. But even you look at the scandals of the Catholic Church and priests and sex abuse, and you see even pastors and ministers and sex abuse in our own denomination, in Protestant denominations, and the covering of those things up and the signing of NDAs and to keep victims quiet. And we look at our leaders and we think, man, I do not trust you. Whatever people tell us, we often just don't believe it or we think, you know what, that's not really the full truth and uh, it's been carefully spun to uh, protect and serve the interests of the one talking. You know, we've given up, I think, the notion of unbiased media. Uh, We don't trust what they say. Uh, Ryan, a while back, was watching uh, uh, the news, and he had flipped between two different stations, and they were both talking about this jobs report that just came out, and one of them was talking about how it was such great news, so positive, and the other one was talking about how this is horrible, terrible, bad. And it was like, what planet are we on? And, and, and so sometimes we don't know who to trust, who to believe because we, we, we don't trust authority. And, and I think I can show you a picture that encapsulates this uh, in one picture because in one picture you can see just the, the spinning of truth to serve an agenda, this picture right here. Fiery but mostly peaceful protest. <laughs> it looks like a war zone, but it's mostly peaceful. And you know you, we saw that and we we're like, what? Just tell the truth. Just tell us what's actually happening. 2020, all that happened in the year 2020, exasperated this problem of deep distrust of leadership, distrusting of authority. Uh, uh, You know, really as Americans, it's kind of in our blood. Like our whole country is founded on the basis of not trusting authority, right? Hey, King Henry, you can keep your tea and you can keep your taxes. We're going to do our own thing. We're out. And and when we found our country, the founding fathers designed our government to create three co-equal branches of government to neutralize each other because they didn't trust any of them to do it by themselves. And so we'll basically make one so powerful that it can cancel out the other two anytime we need to. And so in a world that is deeply distrusting of leadership, we have a Bible that is actually very pro-leadership. In a world that is distrusting of authority, we have a Bible that's very pro-authority. And it gives us great detail about how those leaders should live and how they should wield their authority. When we want to elevate someone to leadership within our church or at work uh, or in a club that we represent or whatever, oftentimes we are looking for the most charismatic, most bubbly, uh, most talented person. But the Bible is going to tell us that character far outweighs ability. And that we should raise up the person of high character way before the person of high ability. So what I want to do this morning is show you from this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, five traits of a Christian leader. Now, there are other lists, and this is certainly not all the things a Christian leader should be or do. This is just the ones in this text. Now, I want to say this and make this clear. By a Christian leader, what I do not mean is a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. I do not just mean people who are leading in a church. I mean everyone who is a Christian who is also leading in any area of their life. Now, many of you hear that and you're checking out because you think, you know what, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a leader. But hold on a second. I would contend to you that pretty much everyone in this room is a leader, or you very soon will one day be. If you are a parent, you're a leader. If you're a teacher, you're a leader. If you're a boss, you're a leader. If you're a club organizer, you're a leader. Or if you just have great influence amongst your friend group, you are a leader. Not to mention, if you serve in our church in some way, then you are also leading. Needless to say, these five traits, everyone in this room who follow Christ, should seek to embody that we might become in all walks of life the leaders who are distinctly Christian in how we lead. So not church leadership, but Christians who are leader, In any capacity, here are five things to live out. Now, remember, the Corinthians are fighting and dividing over their leaders, uh, and Paul says this in verse 1, this is how one should regard us. You're fighting over me and Paul and Silas and all these people. You're fighting over who's the best, who who you should follow, but this is how you should regard us, as servants of Christ, as servants of Christ. They're dividing over all these people, but they're servants of Christ. That's the first point. Christian leadership serves Christ. Like at its core, when you are leading as a Christian, you are first and foremost serving Jesus. It is interesting here that the, the word that Paul uses for servant isn't the word he, he himself typically uses for servant. You know, he starts every letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, I'm a servant. Right, he'll, he'll talk about I'm a doulos. And that's the word he uses, doulos. It's, a, it's like a slave. And that's often what he says, but here he uses a different word. He uses the word huperitas, which literally means under oarsmen. And under oarsmen, you've probably seen in a movie where you've got those old ships where you've got all of the guys like, underneath the boat, and they're all rowing, you know, and there's a guy in the front hitting a drum. Boom, boom. And you've got two or three guys on an oar, and they're, boom, boom, you know, and they're, and they're all in sync, rowing together. That's the word he's talking about. He's saying, uh, as a, we are servants of Christ, saying, we are the guys under the boat rowing the oar. Now, those oars would have been like 30 foot long. You could not do that by yourself. You had to have two or three guys on it, and you had to be in sync. If you're not in sync, the boat's going to do this. You know, it's going to be turning all over the place. You had to be in rhythm. You had to know the beat, know the leader, and follow his direction and where he was taking you. Now, also, these rowers were not hired hands. This was, what, was not a job. They were slaves. They would have been shackled to the bench they sat on and were forced to row for the whole, their entire life. They were in the belly of the ship, so no one saw them, uh, and they worked to make their master look good. Whoever he was taking somewhere, they looked to make him look good. And so Paul is using that as a picture of the Christian leader. Paul is saying, look, even of himself, we serve as a team we serve to, be, uh, to, to do the Lord's orders, what he is telling us to do. We serve for life, and we serve to accomplish the purposes of the Lord. And that is what Paul is trying to get across here. He's like, hey, guys, all of these leaders here that you guys know, Peter and Paul and Apollos, you don't divide over them because you're not serving them. They with you are serving Christ. In all of life, whether at home or at work or among friends in church, wherever we lead, we are ultimately serving Jesus. We are working toward his ends and to make much of Jesus. We accomplish his purpose by putting the spotlight on him. Remember when Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was a leader, and he kind of had this movement going on, right? And, and he was doing this thing. He was baptizing people. He was preaching. All these people were following him. But then Jesus shows up, and now all of these people that were following John start following Jesus. And somebody comes and asks him, and he says, hey, John, are you upset? What do you think about Are you worried? Are you mad? What, what do you feel about the fact that all of your disciples are now following Jesus? And John says, I must decrease, and he must increase. I'm not worried about that because that's exactly what should be happening. The spotlight needs to get off of me and on to him. And that is what we as leaders do now. You want to give me credit? No. There's nothing that I could do. It is Christ in me. I go, but not for the grace of God in me. I'm but a broken vessel, a tool in the Redeemer's hands. God alone works. Think about it this way. If you've ever been in a wedding, if you, and especially if you've been the maid of honor or uh, the best man, you have one job. Do whatever the groom or the, or the bride needs of you, and to make sure the wedding goes off without a hitch. And don't draw attention to yourself, but draw attention to them. But imagine if at the wedding, which, you know, the most, the the one moment in the wedding that everyone is looking for is the moment the door is open in the back, right? And here's what they're doing. Right, they're looking, they want to see how beautiful she is, and then they want to see if he's crying or not, right? That's what they want to know. And imagine if in that moment the best man is standing in front of the groom like, huh, she looks good. You think she looks good? Yeah, yeah. You've, you've made it about you. You've gotten in the way. But if a, how do you know a best man has done his job? If the wedding goes off without a hitch and no one knows your name and no one knows who you are, you've succeeded. You've mission accomplished. You know, I think our tech team is a great example here. If during our service you think about the tech team, it's because somebody messed up. And through uh, some mistake, drew attention to themselves. Their job is to work hard so that everything goes smoothly so that you never think about the people behind the curtain that are making all these things up here possible. Right? That's their job. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. They want you to draw attention to Jesus, not their mistake. And that's what they do. You know, our worship team should be leading in such a way that you do not leave here thinking, boy, that Nathan sure can't sing. But I don't know what he did with his hair. But you should leave thinking, boy, Jesus is good. And you recognize that through the songs that we sang that made much of Jesus. That's why we sing things that aren't about necessarily our experience or how we feel or or what we want God to do, but we're singing about him and what he has done. So that we leave not thinking about ourselves or thinking about how great Nathan or Rachel are, but about how great God is. My job is to proclaim to you the word of God and to bring the word of God to bear on your life. And when you leave here, you should not be thinking, boy, Brent did such a great job. And I know none of you ever actually think that. But don't think that. But rather, man, isn't God's word rich? If we distract from the one to whom we serve, we have failed. And as servants of Christ, our job is to do his will and make much of him. Now apply that same logic to where you lead in the home where you lead at work, where you lead at the PTA or at the HOA, or where you lead as a coach on the ball field? Do you see the people that you lead as merely cogs in the machine that you are wielding uh, to accomplish your will, or do you see the people that you lead as belonging to Jesus and you are therefore there to serve them and lead them closer to Christ by honoring Jesus and lead them in a way that they'll honor him too? See, as Christians, all leadership should be servant leadership. We serve Christ and we serve others by serving Christ. We are servants. We are not above anyone. We are not more special. We are not uh, anyone else. Our our abilities and our gifts are as good of a job as we might do. We are but tools in God's hand. We are serving his people for their good and his glory. I must decrease, he must increase. And so we lead by serving people so they might look at us and see the one to whom we serve. And so if you are a CEO of a company, you are but a servant of Christ. Christ. And God may have entrusted a position of power and authority to you, but make sure that in it you do not increase, but you serve Christ and you serve his people. Because no matter how high you think you are, you, like Paul, are but servants of Christ. You just happen to be in a different position at the moment. Maybe think about it this way. In all walks of life, we lead for an audience of one. We are leading for an audience of one. All right, second thing, same verse. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Second thing you need to know, Christian leadership is stewardship. Christian leadership is stewardship. We have talked about stewardship recently, and so you guys know what a steward is. Uh, A steward is a manager who manages the assets or property or things of the master. Well, what assets do you have that you are managing, trying to multiply and use and leverage for God? Your gifts, your abilities, your leadership abilities, your position, your rank, your level of authority in an organization. All of these things have been entrusted to you. If you're the CEO, that has been entrusted to you. If you're the team lead, that has been entrusted to you. If you the mama, that has been entrusted to you. So when you stand before God one day and he asks you, what did you do with the, with the gifts, with the abilities and the position and the authority I gave you, what will your answer be? What did you do when I made you the mama? What did you do when I made you the CEO? What did you do when I made you the team lead of the company? How did you leverage that? On the one hand, you should be able to say that you did good, that you built and created, kind of like a Genesis 2, sort of like God has commanded us to cultivate the world. Like, hey, I did good for the world. I helped human flourishing in the world, right? That's a part of that job. Like, we want to work hard in what we do. You're not just there to evangelize, you're there to work hard and do good for the world. But also, he says in this verse, that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. In short, the mysteries of God is the gospel. And so you are a steward of the gospel. The gospel has been entrusted to you. And now God has given you a platform. You have a platform as a mom or a dad. You have a platform as a boss. You have a platform in the PTA or, or the HOA, wherever it is you are leading. You have a platform of the gospel, and how are you seeking to spread and multiply and advance it? God is putting you in situations and in front of certain people so that you will share the gospel. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example of, of someone in our church I was talking to you about last week who, uh, who recently started uh, a business uh, doing home remodel and has, have, has u- intentionally used this home remodel business as a means by leveraging the gospel with people who are now inviting him into their home to, to fix things and change things. And he is just talking to them about Jesus, talking to them about the church. I've watched him do it. and so Using a business to, to, one, make things beautiful in homes, but also to, make, to show people the beauty of Jesus. But let's apply it another way. What about the stewardship of your home? Your kids do not belong to you. You do not own them. They are God's kids that he has entrusted to you. And how you raise them, how you teach them, how you disciple them and appoint them to Jesus is what we will be held to account one day. So leadership is a stewardship issue. And every area of your life, wherever you are leading, it is a stewardship that God has entrusted to you. So how you lead matters. The effectiveness, your strategy, your character, all matter. Leadership is a gift and a platform by which God is using you to promote human flourishing and advance the gospel. It is a stewardship issue. Now, let's go to the third one, verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not there, thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation before God. I have, ap- uh, uh, I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written? Christian leadership knows who they work for. Christian leaders know who they work for. When you have a job, you are suppo- uh, you're supposed to do what your boss tells you to do. right? And sometimes your boss might have you do something that your coworkers or your customers don't understand. And sometimes you might get a lot of criticism. Right? You might get some criticism or some complaints because no one understands why you're doing it that way or why you're doing this instead of that. But what you know is that you're doing what your boss said. And all of the noise and all the criticism and all the complaining doesn't matter because you're doing what you've been told to do. Well, Paul reminds us here that anytime we are in leadership, we are going to have judgment and criticism. That is inevitable, that's going to happen. But when that criticism comes, We need to know what to do with it. So often for us, criticism is life-sucking, right? Like if you're trying to do a good job at something and you're working hard at something, you're putting your life and soul into something and and people are critical of that and they like, whatever, it just deflates you, right? Like it is so hard to hear criticism. We crumble, I think, under the weight of it. And we, I think then, become ineffective leaders Because we're always second-guessing ourselves, and we're always over-analyzing things, and then we're paralyzed, never knowing how to make a decision or what to do, because we're always afraid of what others might think. And that is no way to lead. And Paul gives us some freeing advice. He says, since we ultimately work for the Lord, only the Lord's opinion matters. When we know who our boss is, we know only our boss's opinion matters. When Jesus is our Lord and we work for him, only what he thinks matters. Now, that doesn't mean your decisions or what you're doing is right. But what it means is that if you know you are doing the right thing and the thing the Lord wants you to do, you're doing that thing, then the opinions and criticism of others should, cause you, should not cause you to stop what you're doing. When you are only concerned about the approval of God as your boss, then the disappointment and criticism of people weighs far less on your shoulders. When I know I work for the Lord and I know I'm doing what the Lord has asked of me, then the disapproval of others has far less power over me. I think the end of verse 6 is pretty important when he says, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. You see, even as leaders, we are always people under authority. The highest leader in the world, whoever that may be, is a person under authority. Everyone submits to someone. Even the top of the organization charts, we submit to God. Uh, when I was working as an electrician in high school, I had a, a task that I did the way that I thought it should be done. And I was told to do this thing, and I went and used my brain and did it the way that I thought it should be done. But it was not the way that my boss thought it should have been done, though he did not specifically tell me. He just said, do this thing, so I did what I, how I thought it should be done. Uh, and he ripped it down, threw it across the room, And said, do it again, and I was confused as a 15-year-old kid, like, what's going on? And I said, well, I thought I should have done it like this. And he said, we don't pay you to think, we pay you to do what you're told. Needless to say, I did not become an electrician. made me really mad. But we serve an all-loving, all-wise king. And the king has told us what to do. And he's told us how to live. He's told us what is right, and he's told us what is wrong. And we have a whole book on what he's told us to do, right? And we know we can't go beyond what he says. We do not think for ourselves in the sense that we think, you know what, we know a little bit better than God, or we're going to update the book a little bit to modern sensibilities. No, we don't go against his word. We do what we are told by him. We know who our boss is. And we serve in glad submission to him. So when your boss uh, here asks you to do something that you know is against, uh, so when your earthly boss asks you to do something that you know is against what God would ask you to do, well, it's easy. You know what to do. You follow your real boss. You follow your ultimate boss. You submit to Jesus, not the one here on earth. There was, a, there was a woman I read about recently whose job was in jeopardy after uh, she was a quality control manager and she got a batch of syringes in and sh- she saw a defect in them. And so she, you know, put a big X on it, said, no, these can't go. These are bad. And her boss came to her and said, hey, we're really going to need you to, to change that and sign that and send these out because if not, we're going to get really behind and we're going to lose a lot of money. And she said, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. And she goes home and eventually the CEO shows up at her door and he says, hey, you're going to need to sign that or you're not going to have a job come Monday. And so now she had a decision to make. Does she do what she's told and potentially lose her job or lose her job and then not be able to, her husband was in seminary, not be able to fund her husband going through seminary? Or does she just do what she's told and sacrifice what she knows to be right? What do you do? Well, we know what we do. We submit to our real boss, knowing our earthly boss is wrong. We do what we do not go beyond what is written. We do exactly what God would tell us to do. We know what is right, and character matters more. And so we stand on that. And so when someone criticizes you, you listen. Right? You're trying to do a job and someone someone criticizes you, someone tells you to do it differently, someone says this or that. You hear what they have to say. Because it's possible they're right. It's possible they can bring wisdom to bear in your life and you adjust a little bit. But you hear, you evaluate, and you either adjust because they were right and they spoke wisdom, or you say, no, this is what God says and this is what I'm going to do. But what we don't do is let it consume us. Because we ultimately don't answer to them, we answer to God. And if we go do what other people want us to do, one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, I was very clear, (laughs) It's very clear what you're supposed to do. Why are you listening to this guy? This is nobody. What, What are you doing? As leaders, we know who our boss is. The fourth thing I want us to see. Verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, in case you can't tell, the part I'm about to read is sarcasm. Okay? It's very sarcastic. Verse 8. Paul says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you you've become kings and would would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you for I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world to angels and to men we are fools for Christ's sake but you are wise in Christ we are weak but you are strong you are held in honor and we are in disrepute to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. We were, when reviled, we blast. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. Fourth thing, Christian leaders are Christ-like. Christian leaders are Christ-like. Not only as Christian leaders do we serve Christ through our leadership, but our leadership should be distinctly different, particularly distinctively like Jesus. We know this section is sarcasm, like I said, because in chapter 1, he talked about how not many of you are rich, not many of you are powerful, not many of you are from noble birth. But here he's saying they've become rich, they've become kings, but they really haven't. He is saying, guys... We didn't follow Christ so that we might become rich and powerful as the world sees it. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We've not become kings. Well, we've become the scum of the earth. Everyone hates us. No one likes us. We are persecuted. So, here's the three things in this section we should grab on about what our, how our leadership should be Christ like. Number one, Christ like leadership is, is humble, it's in humility. Jesus had every reason not to be humble, right? He's the most powerful, he's the richest, he's the most sovereign being in the universe. And yet, he did not come to the earth in arrogance and in pride, but he came in humility. The Son of Man did not come to serve but be served. He did not come to be served but to serve. This man took on the posture and task of a slave. He even got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. Jesus is the very model of having power yet being humble. And so we are to lead like that. No matter how high our position is, no matter how great our knowledge, no matter how great our power, no matter how great our position, we do not lead as if people under us are inferior. We lead knowing that those people that we lead are God's people. And they have just as much value as we do. They're made in the image of God and value, dignity, and worth. And we serve them, care for them, and do not think ourselves above them. It's fascinating, actually. When you as a leader treat those under you, not as pions and a machine that you are wielding to get your stuff done, but rather when you treat those people under you with care and, 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 and love and treat them as whole people, a crazy thing happens. All of a sudden, instead of them being resentful and lazy and never having your back, all of a sudden those people under you are, are that you are humble and you care for, all of a sudden, they work hard, they're loyal, they have your back, and they'll go to the ends of the earth for you. Why? Because you you actually cared for them, and you didn't think you were some great guy above them. Leading like Christ is humble, but leading like Christ also means that we must respond with Christ-like grace. Verse 12, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. How did Jesus respond when he was yelled at? How did Jesus respond when his enemies tried to trap him and discredit him? How did Jesus respond when his friends failed him again and again? How did Jesus respond when he was betrayed? How did Jesus respond when he was beaten? How did Jesus respond with his last breath as he hung dying? With grace and with patience and with love. He said as he was dying, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He never snapped. He never retaliated. He never backstabbed. He never got even. He showed an unearned, unmerited grace and favor toward those who did nothing to deserve it. And as we lead, and all of the different capacities in which we lead, we will have people that hurt us. We will have people that lie about us. We will have people that try to get us fired. We will have people that gossip about us, who will be mean to us, hurl will insult us, and try to hurt us. And it is our calling, as Paul reminds us in verse 7, as, one who, as ones who have received grace from God, who have not earned it, but have received something we did not earn, and yet have been forgiven, and yet have been brought into the family of God, have given everlasting life with an inheritance. It's upon us, as the recipients of such an amazing grace, incumbent upon us to extend that same grace to others and modeling Christ for them. This is so hard because it is so much easier to get even and so much seemingly more satisfying to get even, to pay them back. But I'll give you some practical advice. Pray for them. When people hurt you, when people are your enemies, when people discredit you, try to get you fired, gossip about you, whatever, pray for them. Pray for those who hate you and harm you. Because if you are praying for God to bless them and save them and care for them, you will find that almost impossible to hate them. You, it is really, really hard to hate someone you're actively praying for. The third way that we're Christ-like is that we must endure suffering. Not only do we need to respond in the midst of suffering, we endure it. This section is dripping with many of the ways in which Christians suffered. And Paul was acquainted with suffering shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, all kinds of things uh, in the world. If we go, all, go about our lives hiding and pretending we don't know Christ, then, yeah, it's possible that we might go and, and not suffer, not be persecuted like Jesus. Then we might be spared a lot of this. But if we lead like God has called us to lead, we will suffer. And we know this, right? Jesus told us, the world hates me and it persecutes me, and if you follow me, they're going to hate you and persecute you too. We know that. But more and more today, you are going to be asked to do things, support things, celebrate things that are against the biblical ideas of morality and goodness. And if you lead and you take a stand and you say no, because you know who your real boss is, you are going to be maybe demoted or maybe passed over for promotion again and again or maybe get in trouble or even fired. Leading like Christ will lead to persecution. But I also want you to see. That if you take on leadership, if you feel the call of God leading you to take on some new task, new, some new position, or some of some particular significance, I want to, to warn you that attacks will come. Anytime, for example, we are interviewing new deacons to raise up in our church, or new elders in our church, uh, our guys, as they all meet together and kind of interview these guys and question them, uh, once they're kind of through that process, will tell you, hey man, if you agree to do this, You need to be ready because the enemy will come after you. Because every one of those guys in that room have experienced that. The enemy will come after you and your family because he does not want you to do this. He does not want you to serve in this way and he's going to try to stop you. And most every one of those guys can point to after they started to serve as a deacon or serve as an elder or serve in some other capacity in our church that the, the hardships came. I watched this happen twice in the last few months as two different families within our church uh, agreed to, one I called and said, hey, we've got a baby who needs a family. Will you take them? And in three minutes they called back and said yes. And I watched that family uh, get sick again and again. I watched dad get meningitis. Who gets that, right? And so it's like all of these things started happening in their life because the devil hates children. And doesn't want them that. I saw another family who was going to be foster families and and they were ready to get licensed. And everything in their home started breaking all at once. Pipes started leaking in walls and they had to start ripping out drywall and all these. And they couldn't get licensed until all this stuff was fixed. When you step up to lead, spiritual warfare comes in the form of very normal things because the enemy does not want you to lead in a way that honors Jesus. And so just be ready. A.W. Tozer said it this way, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly before he has hurt him deeply. We might suffer, but like Jesus, suffering always leads to resurrection. And when we suffer in our leadership, God will bless us, not with material riches, but with the rewarding nature that comes with serving our great king. And so our leadership should be uniquely Christ-like. It should be in humility. It should be responding with the grace that he gives us. And we should endure the suffering that comes when we lead because we know it will come. Finally, verse 14. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you did not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. And I urge you then be imitators of me. Christian leadership provides an example for others to follow. You have heard the old cliche, do as I say, not as I do. But no one really buys that garbage. No one buys the garbage when they say, do as I say, don't do as I do. Instead, we are all, every one of us, guys, we model our lives after so many different people. Things we pick up from other people. We mimic things in people that we like for whatever reason, good or bad. It doesn't take me long when I go home to North Carolina to start talking like a redneck. And it pretty quickly, Kate has to adjust me and say, I need you to start talking normal again. Because I go around those people, and it just it's just easy for me. It's natural for me. And I, and I hate to admit this, but uh, you know I've been here five years, and uh, I think about the three-and-a-half-year mark, um, I was talking to someone, and the word pop came out of my mouth. And as soon as it came out, I went, I, it was gone. It happened. I don't know what to do. And, and, and my mom has been ashamed of me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been around you guys, and so I've become like you. I've conformed to, to, to you. And, and I, I mean, I'm not eating the chili yet, but I, but I say pop every now and again. Proverbs says that he who walks with the wise becomes wise. And we know that we become like the people that we hang around for good or bad. And so when Paul tells the Corinthians, imitate me. Copy me. Paul understands that leadership at its most basic level, the really best leaders in the world are not the ones who only practice what they preach, but are the ones who serve as a model for others to imitate. Leadership isn't do as I do, say not as I do. Leadership is do as I do, learn by watching me. Learn by mimicking me. You see, leadership does not merely happen on a stage in front of crowds. Leadership happens in the small, everyday, mundane decisions and actions we take that model Christ as an example to others. And so let me give you this question uh, as we wrap up. If people imitated your life, if people imitated your life, copied you, would they be found to be faithful disciples of Jesus? If they looked at you and said, hey, that's a Christian. I'm going to model my life after everything they do. I'm going to follow you around, do everything you do. Would they be found to be faithful disciples of Jesus? Let me ask it another way. Y'all know WWJD bracelets back in the day. You know, what would Jesus do? We ask, it's a great question to ask in different situations we get in. But what if and someone didn't know quite yet to ask what would Jesus do, but they asked, what would Brent do? They asked, what would Sarah do? They asked, what would Jason do? What would Chuck do? What would Ryan do? What would Susie do? Insert your name. If they asked the question in some situation, what would you do? And they did that thing. Would they found to be faithful. Would Jesus be proud of how they lived? Because that is leadership. That we follow Jesus. And that we follow Jesus so closely that if others imitate us, they'd be getting pretty close to imitating Jesus as well. The example of Jesus helps us to be great leaders. But his example Listen to this. Don't miss this. His example is not what empowers us. And it is certainly not what saves us. His example should be followed. But it is the action, it is the work of Jesus that actually saves us and changes the direction of our lives. And if you follow the model of Jesus without the saving power of the work of Jesus, then you might be a great leader who goes to hell. We need the work of Jesus, the death of Jesus. That changes us. You see, we need the example of Jesus to to lead well, to be great parents, to be great leaders of our HOAs, to make HOAs great, a kid, because they're terrible. We need Jesus' example to be great CEOs and great organizational leaders and great parents and all those things. But we need the work of Jesus. We need a bloody cross and an empty tomb. To be forgiven of our sin, to be brought into his family, and to actually make him our boss. And to actually follow him. That's what gives us life. And that's what can set us on the path to following him and his example meaningfully. And so if you're here this morning and you follow Jesus, you're his child. He's your Savior. Man, I want you to embody these sorts of principles into your leadership. And your home and your marriage and your work, everywhere you go. You're all leaders in some way or another. But if you do not know Jesus, man, don't just go thinking that you can follow his example and do what he does, and that's, gonna, that's the ticket. That's not the ticket. The ticket is find yourself united to him. Bow your knees and make Jesus your king. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and follow him all the days of your life. When you bring him into your life, make him king And trust in his death and his resurrection. That's what changes your life. And then you can follow his example. But if you get those things out of order, you'll be a great leader in hell. But if you get them in order, you'll be a great leader for now and for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your example. The example of of your son that you sent to earth um, to to model for us what it means to, uh, to live a whole and full and good life. What it modeled for us, what it means to be a leader. And so, Father, help us to lead well in our church, in our homes, in our places of business, in our organizations. Help us to lead well. But, Father, for those in this room that don't know you, help us to do more than lead well this morning. Help us to start by submitting well, submitting to the King of Kings and finding life in him. Guys, uh, this morning, if I can pray with you about anything, about what it means to follow and trust Jesus, it would be my great privilege and honor uh, to do that. I'm going to stand over here to the left as we sing this song. If I could pray with you about, uh, man, you being a better leader in your home or at work or whatever, I'd, I'd be honored to pray with you about those things. If you need to pray about anything, I'm, I'm up here available to pray. Well, let's sing to the Lord. And let's follow him and let's trust in his work. In Christ's name we pray. All those people said, let's stand together.